the Urban Broadcast Collective brings together the best podcasts on cities and urban life. Subscribe to us on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. This podcast is supported by VEPLA, Victorian Planning Environmental Law Association. Welcome to the Planning Exchange, where we interview built environment professionals who are doing interesting work beyond the ordinary. I'm Jess Noonan, and I'm joined by my colleague, Peter Jewell. Libraries are so much more than just places to store books. They're crucial pieces of social infrastructure. When we talk about infrastructure, we typically mean the built structures and utilities like roads, bridges, public transport, etc., that underpin the development of our communities. Social infrastructure, however, is the kind of infrastructure that facilitates human connection, interaction, civic engagement. Places like parks, playgrounds, swimming pools, museums, and of course, libraries. As the industrialist and great patron of public libraries, Andrew Carnegie famously put it more than a century ago, a library outranks any other one thing a community can do to benefit its people. It is a never failing spring in the desert. So in light of that, we're today talking with Vanessa Schoenekal, the CEO of the Geelong Regional Library Corporation, also commonly referred to as the GRLC. Welcome to the show, Vanessa. Thank you for having me. Hi, Jess, and hi, Peter. Vanessa, can you give our listeners a brief bio apart from the above? Um, how did you become interested in libraries? Oh, well, um, I am one of those people who's been brought up using public libraries. Uh, very uh, fond memories of going to the library as a child. I remember the very first library book I took out. It was called Jane's First Day at School. And the various stages of my life um, as I went through my education and how I used public libraries, whether it was in year 12, um, going off to, well, I actually went to high school in Liverpool. So going to the Liverpool Library in the UK, which was the equivalent of the State Library in Melbourne. And equally continuing, um, through having children using the public libraries and in those days paying fines for overdue books, which we don't do anymore. And uh, my first in working in public libraries was actually with the Geelong Regional Library Corporation about 10 years ago. And um, I looked after the operations and uh, corporate services side of things. And I was very privileged to be involved in the advocacy and um, the announcement of the funding for the brand new Geelong Library and Heritage Centre, also called the Dome, um, which was rebuilt. Uh, it was built about seven or eight years ago. And then I came back to GRLC about a year and a half ago as the CEO. So I um, just every morning wake up pinching myself. I just have a job that I love and I'm, I'm very fortunate. That's really, really, really nice to hear. Um, can you tell our listeners a little about the history of libraries in Victoria? Many might not know that there were many free libraries set up by local communities to advance reading and knowledge. Yes. So public libraries, and I have to say I'm not a library historian, but I do know that um, libraries traditionally were private clubs, if you like, for, for want of a better term, and required a membership to be able to join. And, of course, being able to read books and to be able to afford books was something that was very much for 
um, you know, middle class and I guess what you would describe as the educated classes. And it was the local governments or equivalent um, really sort of around the time of the gold rush where um, councils, local councils, which in those days, of course, were small um, around a particular town, um, they were the ones that first put money towards what were known as free libraries. And today that um, modern form is, is a public library, which, of course, is now so much more than just um, about borrowing books. But free libraries were somewhere where you'd go, there'd be a, a local collection of books and you'd be borrowing from that collection. And it would involve donations as well and um, potentially volunteers working there, as well as perhaps a town librarian. Vanessa, I, I, I actually took back a book uh, that was overdue before the interview, okay. so I didn't want to get into trouble with you. But yes. um, can you can you please explain, and I, I just adore the library system that you run, mm. Vanessa, it's great service. Thank you. Tremendous librarians and, uh, you know, the accessibility of knowledge is super. But can you um, can you please explain a little about the GRLC? Sure. How large is its geographical area? Yes. The variation in places, um, the number of branches and approximate active users. Right. Okay. Well, we have, um, we cover five local government areas or local councils. And so we have libraries, we have 19 libraries at the moment. And when Armstrong Creek opens next year, which is a, a corridor, a growth corridor between Torquay, which is on the coast, and the city of Geelong, when that library opens, we'll have 20 libraries. And we have three mobile library services as well that go out into the rural areas. So we have small townships that go up very close to north of Geelong, which is um, close to Ballarat, which is the next city um, traveling north. And then west, we have a library in Colac, which is on the way to the Western Districts and on the way to um, Adelaide, if you stay on the road. And then libraries down in Apollo Bay and Torquay on the Great Ocean Road and libraries on the Ballerine Peninsula, which is um, an area with beaches on either side, just out of Geelong. Um, so, and then a, a library as far east as Lara, which is on the way to Melbourne. So probably uh, discombobulated everyone who's listening now, trying to work out where we are, but we're in the southwest of Victoria. And how many approximate users would that be? Well, this, it's, is, this is a really interesting thing about libraries too and how we measure, how we use metrics and how important they are. And traditionally, we've tended to measure the number of members that we have. And uh, we have about 125,000 members. But more importantly, as um, libraries evolve to um, being, if you like, a third place, a place where people come to work, um, to recreate, to meet, to, um, I don't know, meet their tutor after school, whatever that might be, it's actually the visitation that also is really important. So we have many people who will use our libraries. Um, they, might have a, they might have a work meeting there. They might book one of our meeting rooms. They might be waiting for a train. Um, and they won't necessarily be our members. So we, we really are, I guess, um, 
in the local high street a bit of a, um, a meeting place for people, as well as somewhere where you might come and borrow from our collection or use our collection online. So we have many members also who may never come into our buildings, but will be reading um, the local newspaper online or reading uh, international newspapers that um, they can read through their membership or borrowing our audiobooks or ebooks online. That plays plays very well into my next question, which was going to be oh, the good. the um the comment that, and yeah. this is just in my own personal um demographic. A lot mm-hmm. of people think about libraries as being fairly old fashioned and you know yeah. a bit of a relic of the analog age. Yes. Um, I've sort of come back into libraries in the last couple of years. Um, now that I've got a young daughter, so I go yes. there quite regularly for rhyme time and mm-hmm. um hiring out. Um, other books and so forth. Yes. What is the what is the alternative services? I guess that libraries are predominantly mm-hmm. providing now, like particularly with things like Kindles and um, and iPads and other online services. Mm-hmm. Is there is there an online element in terms of borrowing power that libraries yes. also have? Most definitely. So I think um, well, first of all, I, I think you're right. The the role of libraries and um, the role that they play for all demographics in society is changing. There are a couple of um, age age groups that traditionally will leave public libraries and then come back later. One is that um, people in their late teens, uh, 20s, particularly um if they are living away from home or they're just very busy socially, they won't necessarily understand um, how libraries can support them and, and particularly if they have a memory of a library being a school library, which is a quite, quite a different place. So public libraries now you can eat, drink, chat. Um, it's good to have some quiet space in a library where people can still study if they choose. But you will find that libraries are really quite vibrant places. They often have cafes in them, for example. In terms of the online offer, during COVID, our our growth in the e-collection, the use of the e-collection, changed um, markedly. And many people who said that they would never read e-books or they didn't like to read e-books were converted during that time. If you have a Kindle that that does have um, associated costs with it, so we provide um, e-books that are free to download on a different device. Um, So that could be your iPad or your phone or whatever else you might um, like to read something on. And those books, the e-books now are about 25% of across public libraries in Victoria um, the usage of people are reading books, it's about 25% total. Went up to about 28% during COVID and it's down to 25% now. And we still find, no matter people's age actually, a lot of people still just like to read a book, um, a physical book. And so um, we've still got a little way to go before books totally disappear off the shelf. We thank Victorian Planning Reports, our very first supporter. If you want the A to Z of planning decisions in Victoria and excellent editorials, please get yourself a subscription to the VPRs. Details on our website.
This podcast is supported by our wonderful friends at One Mile Grid. One Mile Grid is a boutique consulting firm which offers traffic and transport engineering, transport planning and waste management services. You can find out more by visiting their website at www.onemilegrid.com.au. Vanessa, you mentioned your first library book, which is fantastic. I I remember (laughs) being at primary school in Manafort Heights and going to the Geelong West Library. Um, Yes. It's a beautiful and library. It's fantastic. And children and the importance for, of them reading yes. and also a sense of wonder mm-hmm. about what books offer, that, yes. that, you know, that sense of, um, uh, I don't know, adventure um, mm-hmm. outside your normal existence and things. Can you talk about how your library assists with literacy? Yes. So the, um, you know, there are, we talk about the role of libraries in literacy development. It's a, it's a crucial role that we play, literacy development as well as um, digital literacy. But if I'm, I'm talking about um, traditional literacy, reading and, and um, writing, um, there have been studies done, I think the most recent one was by Monash, the Monash University, which is in Melbourne, which shows that children who are read to start school with an advantage that is um, measured as as a 12-month advantage um, in terms of literacy development to children who have not been read to in the home. And so that is, if that's the only thing that we do around our children's programming is encouraging people to read to their children, we also um, help people learn how to read to their children. Now, that might sound uh, a bit crazy, but the reality is, uh, you know, there are socioeconomic pockets of our communities where there is low literacy and it's quite systemic and and many people have, have grown up not being read to. So they don't actually have that as part of their DNA, that, that they read to their children. So we partner with Maternal Child Health Services, for example. We partner with other agencies um, that are working with families to run uh, literacy programs that might be something fun like, um, you know, baby rhyme time that, that you were talking about before, but actually those programs are based on uh, particular um, educational frameworks And that might appear as if, oh, we were singing the same song every week, but actually singing that song, the rhythm, the way, you know, the librarian will be pointing at text as they're reading, whatever that might be, and then encouraging people to take books home. Um, It's a really vital role that we play. And then um, we have other programs, for example, in partnership with other agencies, there's one called Sprout, which is where we are working with... um, young parents who are either pregnant or have babies and they themselves as parents are in their teens and very young. And so, again, working there with them to show them how to read to their babies and their toddlers and preschoolers. And, Vanessa, is the role of the library as the public place or the third place, as you um, Um, referred to it before, is that becoming a more and more important element of our society? I'm just thinking in terms of bringing this back to planning and urban design and -hmm. and how we plan our cities, is is its role becoming far more significant in this day and age? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's 
there's studies around the um, economic contribution that libraries um, return to the economy. And that's not just employment. That's about people coming to events or whatever that might be. But also libraries are definitely activators. And so quite often you'll see a library in the middle of a high street. You'll see that in a shopping centre. So, you know, if you think about a shopping strip that is not travelling well and there's high vacancy rates, I mean, Melbourne have done this very well, the, the City of Melbourne, where they put pop-up libraries in uh, empty retail spots and shared the, the library share that space with a cafe, small businesses, and there might be small retail in there as well. And um, that's all about bringing people in. But the other, the other piece is around how libraries also connect people. So... We know that in the last two or three years, people are more isolated than they ever have been, particularly young people. And for our region, being a part of regional Australia and not part of the metro um, inner city area, a lot of people move to our region and continue to move because of housing affordability and the ability to work at least part of their working um, week at home. So the commuting distance is less of an issue. And those people now are very isolated as well and they're sitting at home in front of their screen. And so this is where libraries are playing a role. Um, people can come and sit somewhere that is warm. That's another issue with increased uh, cost of living, warm in the winter, cool in the summer. Uh, they can attend a program if they want or a workshop and they can meet people or they can just sit um, and experiment with some of the digital um, offerings that we have. So, for example, if you're interested in how to use a 3D printer, you can come and experiment with a 3D printer and, and an unintentional outcome of that is that you might actually meet someone who's got similar interests and make a connection as well. Um, so they do play a real role in community, uh, community activation. And, and another huge piece I think that public libraries have, going right back to when we were talking about free libraries, there is a role around access to knowledge, which traditionally was always books. Now access to knowledge more and more is obviously online and how people find the source of truth or uh, conduct research without being academics and sitting in an academic library, our, our team can show people how to search for information that isn't just about Google as well. And that leads on to the whole piece around having a place in society today for civic debate and, um, you know, democratic discussion. And what better place to go than a public library and hear from authors or hear from um, people who are just getting together and sharing um, their thinking and ideas about a particular issue that is an issue that we might all be facing. So, for example, we introduced last year a series of um, forums. We call them the Talk It Up forums, where we ask different voices um, to come and chat about a particular issue. The last one we did, um, we posed the hypothesis is has uh, working from home peaked and heard from different voices. We had the CEO from Avalon Airport. Um, we had 
a filmmaker who's moved from Western Australia and, and living in a regional Victoria. Um, so we had some different voices um, talking about some of their challenges. We had a young professional mum who during COVID relocated to the surf coast and um, found that uh, it was actually quite isolating and is now um, has moved to Geelong from Melbourne. So again, those connections and one of the best outcomes from that session was the connections people made afterwards. We had someone who does a lot of work with um, small family businesses and uh, born and bred from Geelong, uh, a, a, an older person, I would say, over 60, who, um, but, you know, doing extremely well and, and does a great job with his um, connection to small business. He came and he said, I've never been to an event in the library before. He actually joined our library after how many years? Never been a public library member before. And he's now saying, oh, actually, I'd really like to run some workshops in the library for older entrepreneurs. So that's the really exciting space that we're in now that is not as um, you were saying before, people just imagine that libraries are, you have to be quiet and you stand in a queue and you get a fine if your book's late. So, Vanessa, do you think given the change in role over, you know, the last couple of decades in particular yeah. um, with libraries, do you th- can you see libraries being rebranded as being called something else in future to sort of, um, I guess, encompass all yeah. of these other things that they actually do, yeah. which are really amazing parts of the community? Yeah. Uh, Jess, that is such a good question. Um, probably about 10 or 11 years ago, the Hume Library, um, which is, northern suburbs of Melbourne, um, they opened a new library and um, they called it the Hume, I think they called it the Hume Learning and Knowledge Centre. I can't quite remember the terminology. And um, But the reality is it's a library and we should be proud of being a library. And, and I think there was a, a phase where people were saying, oh, we just have to change the name because the name, you know, it's old-fashioned and and, um, people won't come. I think it's more about rebranding the term library and and educating our, you know, our public, if you like, to understand what their local library means to them and what's available through their local library. And we will always be about access to knowledge And we shouldn't be ashamed of that. So we will always be very different from a neighbourhood house or a community house Mm -hmm. because we have that something that is very unique and that is about our collections and our focus on literacy development as well as our our focus on, um, you know, the, the access to information in the digital world. So it's more of a marketing piece to raise awareness, I guess, around all Completely. these other services. Yeah. yeah. No, and Jess, so, uh, sorry. sorry. Uh, I was going to say, Vanessa, don't please don't change the name library. I mean, <laughs> the, the ancients had you know, superb libraries that were known yeah. as civilised places. The libraries, um, I don't think they need to, you know, it's I was just, just such posing a, the question. No, just, you yeah, just no, it's, a, it's a really good don't, question. Don't tarnish because, the institutions. Yeah, yeah. I think <laughs> we just so have we, to be... I, yeah. I think it's. I think everyone knows what a library is, but probably people don't know all the things that a library does. Maybe, but 
That's right. And in fact, Public Libraries Victoria, which is our peak body, we have run a very successful campaign over the last two or three years, and it's called Libraries Change Lives. And that's the, hash, that's the hashtag, Libraries Change Lives. And libraries really do change lives. You know, people find jobs through coming to the library. Um, you know, whatever it might be, they could learn a new skill or they're just open to ideas that they haven't thought about before. Um, and so I think that's a really important thing that we, we should be really proud for. And that's really about our advocacy too, um, in terms of having a sustainable future. And from my experience, Vanessa, you know, how libraries work and librarians take on a wide variety of roles, uh, assisting the public. Um, yep. A lot of people um, in the public don't know how to access government services and yes. uh, and uh, are bewildered by uh, logging on to access. Everyone thinks that everyone is digitally aware, but a lot of people aren't. Mm -hmm. There's a significant mm -hmm. proportion of the population. It's, it's not a insignificant minority who need help. And I was thinking, where do people who don't know how to do these things, if if they live alone or they haven't got that network, they don't go to councils for help. Where do mm -hmm. they go? And in my local community, they go to the library for assistance. Any yes. thoughts, any comments about that? Am I completely wrong on this? Or... No, you're completely right. In fact, during the pandemic, um, public libraries were deemed by the government an essential service. And that was because we were helping people um, access MyGov, for example, and equally helping them access their vaccination certificates online and print them out if they needed help printing them. And not everyone, of course, has a smartphone either. So, um, you know, it's very hard to live in this world if you don't have a smartphone. So that's where we help. And obviously we have access to free wireless, but equally access to PCs so people can come and sit down and we can help them um, do whatever they need to do online. So we help people with job applications, for example, and you're right, accessing government um, information. Centrelink, which is a federal um, agency, as you'd be aware, in terms of helping people find work or access social services, they will actually say to their clients, go to the public library, they'll help you. And it's, it's, it's great in one way, in another way, it's a bit of a shift in responsibility that we aren't resourced for. So our library teams are spending more and more time helping people um, with those, you know, one-on-one. -on -one. Um, so whilst we have great technology in libraries now so that, you know, you can book your, book your collection online, you can come into the library, you can pick up your book, you can scan it yourself, you can check it out yourself, you can return it yourself after hours. Um, that's freed up our, our staff to be doing different things and running different programs. But there's no doubt that... Um, we are certainly providing a lot of support that is quite intense. And, and actually for our staff, um, you know, it requires customer skills that they probably didn't anticipate actually when they thought that they would like to work in libraries. So, yes, you're right. We're certainly filling that space around health and wellbeing. 
Vanessa, I'm interested as well, thinking again, taking this back to a planning and design um, kind of topic. Yeah. At, at what point in the process would you have any input in the location of new libraries? I'm thinking in yeah. some of the growth corridors of Melbourne. Sure. Um, do you have any input and at what stage do you normally get involved? So if, if it's a growth corridor, it may well be that there's developer contributions going towards that library. And we will work very closely with the member council. So the funding will be between the local government or council and state government. And so we will obviously be part of that initial uh, social planning, if you like, in terms of where those services should be for a brand new growth area. And it might be that there'll be conversations saying, oh, well, we think we might put the library with the school or we might put it with maternal child health or we've got a community hub here with a kindergarten. We thought we might put the library there. And sometimes, you know, it's like, well, maybe you put it in the shopping centre, you know, wherever it might be. And equally, um, again, in terms of trends, probably 10 years ago, lots of libraries were put with secondary schools, secondary colleges, and were a shared um, model between the school and, um, and the community. And in some ways, um, I think some of the limitations there is that piece around people who, who may not have fond memories of school, um, may not want to come back into the school once they leave, and they might be the people who really need the services in the library. So those are the conversations that we would be having with, with council and with the, the social planners around where we think a library might be. So the new Armstrong Library, which is Armstrong Creek Library, which is due to open next year, is actually right in front of a big shopping centre with a big supermarket and, um, you know, the takeaway outlets and all the other um, um, outlets that are there. And that library will have, um, has a real focus on maker spaces and collaborative spaces. So, um, you know, that's quite different again from because it's in response to the, all the people who we know are working from home more and more than they have been. Vanessa, before we get onto the design of new libraries and yes. how that differs from, say, 30 or 50 years ago, my yep. um, my observations of libraries is that the librarian has to be very familiar with the processes and literature and also, but also very good readers of people um, yes. because many people who use the libraries, um, libraries are people who might be fragile or... Mm -hmm. uh, disadvantaged or um, uh, need that extra yeah. need that extra bit of help sometimes and that's true and that's true. And, and and that that um, creates new skills would you say that that is a new skill set that librarians have for reinforcing yeah. old skills I think um, not necessarily new skills it it will depend on where each library is so if you think about um, libraries being a part of place and being very much a part of their local community, then we have libraries with very different um, demographics and communities depending where they're located. So um, for people who do know the Geelong region, you know, we have a, a library in Corio, for example, where there are um, new communities, new arrivals. Um, so um, 
English as a second language, for example, um, and so we might have a particular focus there around um, how we make them feel welcome and let them know that the library is there for them. Um, other libraries, we there could be the Geelong Library, for example, with people sleeping rough who come in to use our services. We have a social worker um, who works across our libraries and really in the first instance, Peter works with our, our staff more than working with customers. The, the model for us is not providing um, a social worker for, you know, case management for our customers, but actually helping our staff, as, as you point out, um, so that they have the skills and also the understanding um, of how to help people, and, but, but equally understand what our role is and when it's not our role. So, you know, our library staff are not qualified psychologists, they're not doctors. Um, so, you know, it's really about supporting them so that they know what to do in an individual situation. Thanks for the support from Ratio Consultants, an independent voice and trusted partner in planning, urban design, transport and waste management. Ratio supports change through projects that shape cities, neighbourhoods and places for people. See ratio.com.au for details. Given the change in uh, offering of services that we've kind of talked about throughout this interview, um, mm. and I guess, I mean, there seems to be, and this is just, again, my personal experience, there seems to be a lot of sharing of spaces within libraries these days, um, yes. either through office spaces, meeting spaces, you know, places where you can read, um, quiet places, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Does that impact, I guess, your ability to then um, retrofit older buildings or upgrade older libraries yeah. to the new format? Yes, and it's it's a challenge because a lot of the older libraries are, are, are quite small. And they're so in terms of having functional space that uh, can be used for different purposes, or evolve as our community changes, there it's it can be quite tricky. And you're right, there will be people who, uh, particularly the older demographic who come in to sit and read the paper, for example, they would be very happy if if we did have the old model where we were telling people to be quiet. Um, so sometimes there are tensions. Just like you have tensions around any um, public space, you know, if you go to a park, there's tensions between dog owners and non-dog owners. It can be the same in libraries around people who are wanting to study or wanting quiet space and people who've come in to hold a meeting or to um, read to their child uh, or whatever it might be and or they're on their phone. That's, that's a classic. Um, people using their phone and that other people find that particularly annoying. So, yes, there are those challenges and that's why modern libraries, when they are built, um, tend to have designated quiet spaces and meeting rooms, um, just like the train has a quiet carriage. So getting back to your question about older libraries, when some of those older libraries may be just one room and so they are very limited around what you can do. Um, 
and we'd be reluctant to sort of divide those rooms because if we're running programs, it's really difficult to run programs in a small space. So, again, it's understanding the demographic and even thinking about outreach. You know, if we can resource it, sometimes we're better off running some of our programs not actually in the library itself. But then that's a cost borne by having to staff um, you know, basically we need more staff to be able to do those things. So there are challenges. However, there is no doubt that whilst our collection, our collection of books, magazines, continues to be really important, over time the collection is reducing in size. So, for example, we don't have uh, the reference books that we used to have and the 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 component of the collection that is reducing more than any other because people are just not using it like they used to is definitely non-fiction. So whilst that's reducing, and obviously CDs and DVDs that used to take up a lot of space in our libraries, that space is being turned into uh, space that can be used, whether it's comfy chairs, tables, whatever that might be. And in terms of long-term planning, if it's possible, some of those spaces, if they can, if, if we can get a meeting room out of it or a quieter space, we might try and do that. It's just not always possible. So really any libraries that are designed now or any upgrades and retrofits, they've got to have flexible spaces and no um, customised furniture that's incredibly expensive that we can't actually move. And, and we've certainly met that challenge where we've got beautiful new furniture put into libraries and in 10 years' time we've got these, you know, beautiful um, state-of-the-art um, cabinets, cabinetry for CDs or for DVDs and there's really nothing we can do with them. Now, Vanessa, I'm old school. I don't like people yes. talking in libraries, right? So, and I've yeah. been known to shush people. Mm -hmm. um, I think that, that does not we, surprise me one. No, bit. No, no, <laughs> I, I, I was yeah. at the state library last year researching uh, yeah. some historical things, and yes. the, some people started talking, and it was incredibly annoying and yeah. distracting. So, I think you're on the wrong path there, Vanessa. I think yeah. you should isolate the people who want to talk. Uh, yep. into a small room and let everyone else enjoy. Oh, not the other uh, way around. No, 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 no <laughs> the wrong way. That's my tip. And I don't mind Jess and a rhyming, uh, rhyme. what is it, Jess, rhyming that you go to? Rhyme, rhyme time. Rhyme, rhyme time. time. I think yeah. rhyme time's fine. I don't mind kids talking, but yeah. everyone else. Uh, now, Vanessa, one thing I, I might do when I retire is drive, yes. I, one of my aims is to drive around in the library bus. Ah, to drive yes. the library bus. Now, yes. many listeners might not know what the library, that it runs mm -hmm. a book bus to outlying we areas. Have, we do. We have three. And, and could you just, you know, quickly just explain what is the book bus and yes. how, how it works? So a very traditional model is a large truck uh, that requires an articulated driving licence or whatever the licence might be, depending on the size of the truck. And it traditionally carried around a collection and people, it would stop in a small town and people would get on the bus and, and browse and choose a book or two or three. 
Um, and that's the model that we still have in uh, for two of our trucks and then out towards Colac Otway, so between Colac and going down through the Otways, uh, through the forest, down to the coast, we have a more agile van. Some of those roads are very windy. They used to have a truck, but they replaced it. Um, now, now we we also have fantastic a fantastic team who drive those vehicles, and as you can imagine, they've built up uh, an amazing rapport and relationship with those small towns because they turn up once a week at the same time, or sometimes even once a fortnight. And obviously people who are quite isolated in those townships look forward to the mobile coming. As people, what, what has happened more and more, of course, is because you can, you can actually order books online through us, and, and we have a collection of over 400,000 items. So if you are a reader, an avid reader, and you, you churn through a lot of books or you have a particular interest, those books are not necessarily going to be on that truck for you. And so more and more we're finding that people are ordering books online and then they, when they come to the mobile library, they're, just, they're picking up books they've already ordered. So in terms of the model and what that looks like, um, I think there is a transition to, a, to smaller vehicles but more nimble vehicles that can provide more services. So, you know, being able to come out and deliver a, a baby rhyme time, for example, out at one of those small um, townships, as well as bringing a collection. So the future of the mobile service, it will change, but it will always, the library service in those small towns will always be an absolute priority. And uh, it plays a very significant role in, in making those communities richer and more connected. Vanessa, obviously there's been a huge amount of change in libraries over the last few years as we've spoken yeah. about. What do you now see as the upcoming uh, future trends? Well, there's a trend that we are starting to, we, we haven't got there yet, but we will be. It's already happening in some other libraries um, across Australia and elsewhere, and that's the access after hours model. Just like a gym, if you've got your membership card, you can swipe your card and go into the library after hours and um, be able to pick up uh, collection items if you want to. But equally, if it's noisy at home, um, you want to study quietly or you want to do some work and it's, you know, kids' bedtime or whatever it is and you're, you're looking for an out and you've got someone to babysit, you can come and um, sit in the library and work quietly or access wireless, um, whatever it might be that you need to do. So that, um, again, uh, in terms of retrofitting older libraries, sometimes those smaller one-room libraries are ideal for that purpose um, because it's very easy in terms of security and everything to give people access to that one space. But we also make sure that libraries are designed so that there's an area that... Um, can just be accessed and the rest of the building can be locked off. So that's an emerging trend that's um, um, taking off in a big way. Uh, if you live in Melbourne, for example, I know, I think, um, I know at least Richmond Library, Fitzroy Library, I think they're they're offering after hours access to their service. So um, that's an exciting piece. The other piece would be around digital technologies and 
access to those. And when I talked about maker spaces and collaborative spaces, but also that connects into our library of things, which is where you can borrow things that are not necessarily books. So, for example, we've just introduced um, thermal sensors. So you can book out a thermal sensor and take it home and scan your house. And you can see where all the drafts are, where the hot spots are, where all the cold spots are, so that you can see where you can put some insulation to save. Um, now, you wouldn't necessarily want to buy one of those because it's a one-off use. Um, so you can borrow it from the library and then return it and someone else can use it. So it's also a sustainable model um, where people aren't each having to purchase an item. We have um, a really nifty little device that you can borrow and you can scan old uh, photo negatives and slides and then um, it sits on top of your phone and it, it will scan those straight into your phone and straight into the cloud for you. So that's the other space that's particularly exciting for us um, as we think about what that future looks like. Well, it sounds like something that you need, Pete, with all of your films. I've got an old, uh, I've actually got a good scanner, photo scanner, um, Jess. Yeah. And uh, I, um, one thing, Vanessa, is I'm always nagging Jess to take more movies. And yeah, she, okay. So, because so, uh, I took a lot of, you know, family videos, but um, mm -hmm. but she imagines me going around with a clunky old camcorder all the time. But, and, but you well, do have a camcorder. <laughs> I, I, well, I do, but it's not clunky. <laughs> If you want to come into the Belmont Library, you can mm. book um, a time where you can transfer those videos uh, onto a USB or whatever device you might like to transfer them onto. So that's another role that we're playing. It's called it's a, it's a um, a little program we we have called Saving Family Stories. Another reason to love the library, Jess. Now. Vanessa, you've been a terrific guest. We've got uh, we're coming to the end of the podcast, unfortunately, but we we have yep. podcast extra, culture yes. corner, we call it. Um, something you've read, seen, watched, done that might interest our listeners. Well, of course, I have to talk about books. Um, I've read a couple of great books in the last month or so. Well, and of course, over January when it was holiday time, making a bit more effort to read than usual. I read The Colony by Audrey McGee and a beautiful little book called Small Things Like These, uh, which is which is by Claire Keegan. They're both Irish uh, authors, but beautiful stories. And Jess, what, uh, what's your podcast extra? I've also been reading quite a bit lately as well, Pete. Um, my most recent one is called The House of Eve by Sadiqa Johnson. I think that's the pronunciation of her name, um, which is a, a really lovely um, love story about a taboo love affair and it's really nice. So I would highly recommend that one. What about you, Pete? Great. Jess, uh, I've been reading, uh, it's another book. It's called 100 Poems by 100 Poets. Uh, it's a book of Japanese early poetry. It was compiled around uh, 1250 uh, and it has 100 short poems by 100 different poets. And the book is a foundation uh, text for students in Japan. They're all meant to learn the poems. At uh, New Year, Japanese New Year, they have a, a game where they play with cards to match the first part of the poem with the second poem and uh, it's effect, affected a lot of the Japanese aesthetic 
Uh, so 100 Poems by 100 Poets. Jess, talking about romantic things, would you like to hear one very brief poem? Never say no to your love poems, Pete. That sounds great. Thanks, it, Peter. It, it's poem six in the book, and it's it, it how the night deepens, a ribbon of the whitest frost. You stretched across the bridge of magpie wings, the lovers will cross. That was written in about 1900, and it's all about lovers meeting late at night after the frost and across a bridge that magpies used to it's one time of the year, go and sit on the bridge. So that's why it's the bridge of magpie wings, the lovers will cross. So I would heartily recommend this book because it's excellent to try to memorise the poems and it's a terrific tonic about a lot of the nonsense in the modern world. So, Vanessa, Thank it's you. not in the library. but Well, um, I'm, I'm sure it is, but, Peter, that also allows me to let you know about our World Poetry Day event, which is on the 21st of March, and we held our first ever writing competition in partnership with Deakin, and we'll be announcing the winner of that prize. We had over 650 entrants. So um, that will be a great night. If you love poetry, I will send you an invitation. Oh, that's That would be a privilege, Vanessa. Thank you. Yeah, and great. Vanessa, you've been a great. Um, uh, Jess, you love the library. I love the library. It's been a tremendous opportunity, Vanessa. Definitely. You've been terrific for our listeners. And I'd all urge all our listeners to just step into their local library. Um, any message to our listeners Vanessa about libraries and one final one uh just I I agree with you I love my local library and um if you haven't been for a while go and check yourself back in and and visit your local library thanks so much Vanessa and thanks Jess thank you thanks Vanessa bye thanks for listening if you would like to hear more of our podcast hit the follow button on Spotify or the like button on SoundCloud, or the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts. Please also visit our Instagram page, LinkedIn, or website for behind-the-scenes footage of our podcasts and to get the latest on upcoming or recently released episodes. If you have any suggestions or feedback, please get in touch via our social media channels or by emailing planningexchange at gmail.com. A special shout-out also to Jack Babbage, who does such an incredible job in producing this podcast.